Welcome to the BioCurious Podcast, a place for you to be curious about your biology and discover new ways to upgrade and optimize your mind, body, and human performance. The guests on this podcast are trained experts in the fields of functional health, holistic wellness, and biohacking who share my passion to provide useful and actionable information with all of you that I hope will help you to live your best life. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm excited to get curious together. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about an amazing contest that my friends over at PaleoFX are holding. Now through December 16th, you can enter a contest to win VIP passes, plus airfare, plus hotel accommodations to the Paleo FX conference in Austin, Texas. I'll be there alongside so many other amazing biohackers and paleo experts, and I really hope that I'll see you there as well. If you want to enter the contest, just click the link in the show notes below. When you hear the term keto, you probably think of weight loss, but there are also many therapeutic and cognitive benefits of ketones. Today, we have an amazing leader in the keto community, Eric Alber, who is a registered nurse and integrative holistic health expert. He is also a special needs parent and advocate for families with special needs children. One of Eric's five daughters was born with a rare syndrome called Smith-McGinnis, or SMS, which shifted his life and career path to finding solutions for his daughter and for other families facing SMS. On this episode, we discuss what Smith-McGinnis syndrome is, how to find balance as a parent of a special needs child, natural therapies for SMS, biohacking cognitive disorders, applying lifestyle medicine for epilepsy, strategies for behavioral problems, biohacking sleep, exogenous ketones versus the keto diet, therapeutic applications with ketones, self-care for caretakers, innovative solutions for families with special needs children, building communities for SMS families, and how to divorce yourself from expectations to live a more joyful life. We have met through the keto community and Eric is an awesome leader and expert in this field. And um, he has a really interesting story and application of the ketogenic diet. So I wanted to have him on the podcast to share that. Can you start by telling us a little bit about who are you, what's your background and how you got into this field of work? Absolutely. Thank you again for having me on. I, I enjoy this opportunity and I've enjoyed getting to know you more and I love what you're doing. You're doing great things in this space and uh, some great value. I've been listening to some of the podcasts too and just great, incredible value. So I hope I can deliver a, a well-timed uh, keto conversation that will be- benefit and bless other people as well as much as you have uh, benefited us and blessed us with the things you're doing. So thank you. Ah, thank Uh, you. And I'm sure you will provide value because you already do to me. (laughs) Ah, that's awesome. So yeah, um, I guess going back, I real quick, I, um, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life after like college. I I got out of high school. I started down the college route. Um, this is like the early nine, mid nineties, roughly early nineties, somewhere in there. And, um, 
I had my own business that my dad kind of gave me an opportunity to take advantage of at the time. And so I got out of college and went to do that thing. And then the NAFTA stuff in two th just before the 2000s rolled around really kind of cramped our style with that. So I like had to let go of that. And then so then I moved back to Michigan from California, where my family had moved us back in the 80s out here, which is where I am now. So I went back to kind of redefine life and I got involved in like the hotel business because my uncle was in it. It was just a job opportunity and just wasn't real happy with all of that. And then uh, I met a guy when we moved into an apartment complex that was just finishing his nursing school. And so uh, I saw that like genuine happiness and joy that he was having with whatever he was doing. I didn't know what it was yet. And so I kind of went up to him and I'm like, you know, we've been getting to connect here and there and you just seem so happy. What are you doing? And he's like, I just finished nursing school and it's so cool, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, interesting. And I'm like, I never thought guys could be nurses. I have no idea why that was in my head, but that's what I thought. And then I was like, my whole world opened up. I'm like, really? I, that's interesting. And you're happy with it. And I'm not. So I went ahead and, and did some uh, nurse training stuff uh, to be a nurse aide initially. And I thought if I could do that, I know I could do the nursing thing. So lo and behold, I got in and did the nursing program. I graduated in 2005 with my nursing degree. So I'm almost 15 years in practice now. And um, it, it just was so, uh, it fed that helping other people piece that I have a very big heart for. And so that was, that was cool. But then it kind of started finding its lack of excitement towards the middle years, maybe, you know, seven, eight years into it, I started realizing there's just we're not doing enough. And I'm, and I started hearing stories of people's, you know, experiences with the things that I thought we were doing to really help them and kind of broke my heart when I realized it was real people being impacted by some not so good decisions, you know what I mean? And so uh, it started getting me curious uh, as to what else could we do? And so then my journey started when I realized I had a really bad gut issue. Um, and it's interesting, one of your last podcasts I was listening to was talking all about gut health. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're singing the choir to me here because this is like my story, you know? And uh, so uh, that's what got me started looking in the alternative space, uh, I would call it at the time, and really just like looking at, okay, the medical model does this. What, do, what else might there be to take care of that? And it really shocked me by how almost 180 some of it was. And I started really growing even more excited and more curious about well, if it can do that with that, then what can you do with that? And then I just started really going crazy with all kinds of stuff. So then I got into invited to a challenge group to do a, um, a workout online with a whole community of people I'd never really considered working. I always was into athletics, but I hated working out. It was so drudgery to me. And um, but anyway, I got into that and it exposed me to how great one can feel with real exercise and then starting to change your nutrition around and being more healthy and man, it's just like all this stuff, the whole, whole new world opened up to me essentially that I realized the medical community was really missing out on. And it was, and it breaks my heart to this day still. Um, and so anyway, that's kind of where I was trudging along, fixing the gut health with a bunch of cool stuff and realizing, you know, it wasn't what the answer is from the medical world, take a pill and you'll feel better. It was really just masking the problem. And so that's kind of been the biggest aha for me overall was realizing getting to root cause was so much more value and, and beneficial. And I noticed we weren't really doing a great job with that in the medical model, if you will. So um, then uh, based on, you know, all of that uh, back in 2007, we had our fourth daughter. I have five in total. My youngest is 10. 
but uh, my whole world shifted on its axis the day that that child was born. So that kind of catches up to where, where we're at, I think. Thank you so much for sharing that background. And, um, and I definitely want to talk a little bit more about why this, why your, your fourth daughter was such a shift for you. And I know that you've taken these practices that you've gained outside of nursing, like these more holistic practices that look at lifestyle and, and um, nutrition, and you apply those to your family's lifestyle now. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about, about that? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest impact it had overall was the fact that we were open to maybe what we were doing wasn't the thing. You know, I think I, I, I look, what happened is so funny. I, I'm, a, I'm a religious guy too, and well, a God believing, fearing man, if you will. I don't know, I don't really go to church anymore because I don't want to get in all that side of it. But there, at the time, I had some questions. Just something got me challenging, like everything, not in the sense of like, I'm going to go against this system and be rage against the machine or something. It wasn't in revolt. It was just like, what if what we're doing isn't the thing we should be doing? Maybe it is. I don't know, but I'm open to exploring whether or not it is. And I think, I think overall, that was probably the biggest takeaway from getting into this and realizing, okay, we don't just get born and then we go see doc every year and we do this, duh, 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 like, like we just, we all just get in this rut and think that that's just what you do. And I, and I started questioning all that. And so then, like I said, it, it helped us realize, you know, just going, we, we were the, we were the typical American family up until before my daughter was born realistically. And, and we were changing as it came along, but you know, we'd go out to the dinners and go out fast food and stop at McDonald's. I, it's probably been, uh, pfft, I don't know, six, seven years since I've been inside of McDonald's realistically now, like that's how drastic a shift it's been because I realized the quality of the things and what it was really doing to our bodies. And you would think as a nurse and in all that health training, I get this all the time. Like, how did you not know? Because the reality is they don't teach it. They don't really focus on it. And you're not trained to think outside that box. It's like we have doc in the, you know, we have these sets protocols and this is just what we do. And that's that. So you're not, you're not trained to think a lot. You're just, you're there to support and act and, and be caring at the bedside and give somebody a human experience, which is great. I mean, that's what makes nursing so beautiful is we make people's experience at the bedside amazing, but we're, we're only, you know, just kind of making them feel better, but we're not really making them better. And that's what really has led me to where I'm at, you know, now more so than anything. And so again, being open, mm -hmm two things was huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more about a, the shift that we need to see in the medical practice. I think mm. nurses are a godsend because like you said, they bring a human component to the healthcare. Um, but again, the nurses are still working from the same constructs and the nurses are still working from the same protocols of sick care and dealing with the symptoms and not figuring out what the root cause of the problem is and healing the whole person. So I'm so glad that there are nurses like you out there that get it and take this more holistic approach. It's yeah, definitely it's, it's definitely mindset, right? I mean, that's yeah. where that has to start there because that's what shifts the rest of you to make those decisions that affect 
the other things, <laughs> essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, when, when your fourth daughter was born, can you tell us a little bit more about that, if you're comfortable with sharing um, um, what, what that situation was and, um, and then how that drastically changed your world? Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's cause it's, it, it has defined what my rest of my life will truly be at the end of the day, let's be honest. And so, um, she was born, um, with what they call tetralogy of Fallot, which means there's multiple issues with the heart that, um, usually the biggest one is a hole in the heart that won't repair itself. So it has to be fixed. Usually there could be an issue with the aortic arch not being in the proper position. And then there's uh, a narrowing of or a lack of function of the, the valves that go out through the aorta to push blood out to the system. So the bottom of the heart has to work harder to squeeze against that resistance so you can get an enlarged heart and on and on. So that was like, I remember we, she was born and she had a really interesting cry that made me, I don't know, I did this with every kid that was born. I'm like, are they okay? You know, you just never know because they're so weird and you just, you're, you're hyper about every little thing. You're like, oh, that, that may not be normal. Is that normal? And you're thinking, you're a nurse, dude. Don't you know this stuff? You know, it's so funny. But um, she had a really interesting high-pitched cry that just set me off in a weird way. I didn't say anything to my wife, but I was like, something doesn't feel right with this. So next day after she was born, I was sitting in with my wife, we were having breakfast and I was like, where is she? Like, it's really weird that she's not in the room with us by now. She should be here. And then suddenly like a uh, doc came in and there was like four or five other people that came in behind her. And that was when I knew right then, uh, this isn't good. And then he introduced himself as a cardiologist and this was his team and da, 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 da. And then we realized, uh, so she was over getting some tests. We realized, and then that's when they gave us the news and we're like, oh, wow. Okay. And so then it was, what do we do? What's going to happen? And so by the year of age, she was going to have the open heart surgery in Detroit. Um, so we were working that entire first year of her life trying to get her to gain weight, but she was breathing too fast because she had really, she has very small features in her cranial cavity. And so therefore like she was, her adenoid was abnormally enlarged. So she wasn't, she was breathing too fast. So she was burning off all of her excess calories through breathing. So we got her in and had those taken care of at eight months of age. So we were just in this mode of like every day we were upping calories in the intake of the formulas. And I mean, it was just nonstop like being in a war almost in a way, just like it was never ending. We finally got to there and had the heart surgery done. It went beautifully. Um, and uh, I just remember like when they took her, like I was a rock until they took her from my arms. I, I get emotional every time I think about this, but like I dropped to my knees and I, I felt like I was handing her off and she was leaving me forever because you never know when they're going to stop her heart, fix it. And hopefully it starts again. Right. I mean, it was just a huge moment in my life that like, really shifted everything and you realize, oh my gosh, I know, know what's really important, you know, and I can empathize with people who have lost their kids to a degree because I had like a six hour window there where I didn't know if my kid was ever coming back either. And that's a really wow uh, experience you can't ever re restate or <laughs> share with anybody in any way, I don't think. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine that. that that's just, I think that's something that you, you have to experience to really understand it oh yeah yeah and i had the i i hear say it in light of this but to me because of the blessing it gave me and, and now looking at it in preparation i went through uh which is another big shift in all this was my buddy lost his three-year-old to cancer 
Oh. And I went, I was a part of that journey. He let me in on a very tender time in his life. And it was such a life changing experience. And then I was doing worship music at the time and I got to lead the service and the worship. And I mean, it was just the best gift I could have ever been given to really understand a lot, you know, and mm -hmm. it really set me up for this journey. Um, so when we got her home um, at the end of it all, we got going a year after that, you know, in that next year and, and we were doing okay. She still seemed off. I didn't, we didn't notice it because we'd always been and I, in nursing school. I taught was taught this, but also in just in general, we know that kids that go through life health challenges early in their life, they miss milestones. They don't, they don't, they, don't, they catch up later. So they can be very much behind in walking and talking and all these different things that you would want to see them doing at, at certain milestones. And my daughter just wasn't hitting them. So we kind of chucked it up to that, but we got a new pediatrician with a fresh set of eyes. And uh, he, we brought her in one day and he was like, you know what? I don't know. It's just something about her. I want to get some things checked out. Maybe her being her, but let's just go. And he sent us to a geneticist. So we went down um, and she was almost just about a little over two years old at this point when we went in. Um, the lady sat down with us. She did two different, she did about an hour time with us and she thought of, two different diagnoses in her mind. She didn't tell us what they were at the time. And she said, I'm going to get a couple tests and then I'll call you as soon as they come back and uh, I'll let you know. So, you know, you're waiting for that dreaded phone call, right? You know, and I think about a week later, we've got the call and she's like, it's Smith McGinnis syndrome. So what exactly is Smith McGinnis syndrome? And was that, that did that, did that have anything to do with her heart issue that she was born with or are these two separate issues yes it is connected um smith mcginnis syndrome was it's a micro deletion on the 17th chromosome and uh they didn't know uh how to diagnose it until about the mid 90s when we had the micro testing become available so there's a lot of uh question and it's a spectrum by the way how it affects kids and I'll, I'll explain in more detail on what it can affect in just a second but it's a spectrum much like autism can be so there are people probably that exist in the planet right now that may have this diagnosis, but they seem fairly normal or they're a little off to some people's opinion, but it, they may be misdiagnosed as something else because they didn't have the testing. So that's what we know. And right now the diagnosed cases in the, I think the world as last I knew was pretty close to just around 700 or less. So it's not a very large known community with this syndrome. So what it predominantly affects is uh, speech delay, developmental delay. There can be some level of retardation, I guess you would say, or cognitive challenges and disability there. Um, there's also the, they throw tantrums because one of the biggest things is they can receive a lot more in the world and take it in, but they are terrible at expressing it. And just like any one of us, when we think we can't get our idea across, how frustrated we get, they take it to the nuclear level they'll in the middle of the store, my kid can drop down on her bottom and not get up and just throw a tantrum for 30 minutes. Thankfully with strategies that we've done, hers has gotten way better, but there are families literally, they'll put a child in their room for five minutes and they will literally have destroyed the entire room. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that they tear things up. They put head, their head through glass. They'll punch walls. They self pick at each, themselves. They're very self injurious. Um, it's just, it, and the biggest one that we all battle with as families pretty much universally across the board is their circadian rhythm being flipped. So they make melatonin all day, which adds to the behavioral problem 
and no melatonin is made from like midnight to six in the morning at all. So they don't stay asleep. That sounds like such a huge challenge to face. And so when you got this diagnosis at the age of two, what was your journey like from there? And, and um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, how you guys are doing now as a family and also how your daughter is doing now. Yeah. So um, yeah, we, we spent probably, we were in California, we came back to California here in 2013. So 2009, 2010 is when we were really kind of in our new normal with her and figuring out things as she developed, we were, you know, figuring out our little strategies, how we react to her, whatever. Um, the one big shift that, you know, it's still as a husband and be with my wife, it's it, the hardest part for me is I don't get to wake up with my wife anymore in the mornings. And that was kind of always a special time for me. I mean, just be able to wake up to her and see her smiling face. Now one of us is usually always in, in my daughter's room because she'll get up between, you know, anytime one and three in the morning without pretty much fail. So that's probably the, the one overarching thing that I, you know, lament a lot that just doesn't, can't, can't fix yet. And I'm not giving up, but at the moment, that's the struggle. Um, but overall, we were in our rhythm for the most part, kind of figuring out, you know, how to handle or how to distract her when she wanted to have a tantrum and, you know, kind of get her, you know, in certain, we didn't know anything about dietary approach. I'll, I'll put that in there first. We didn't really, we were eating okay and somewhat healthy, but we didn't really realize like we're, the keto conversation enters in to really help with her cognitive, which has just been tremendous. And so when we moved here in 2013, um, I got into uh, the current position I'm in now, which is I do more triage on the phone as a nurse. So it, it allows me to be home. I took the job when it didn't actually had no, make no sense in the world why I would take this gig that I'm in now because the pay was there was less. I had to travel for almost seven months to get trained for it uh, about an hour and a half, one way to San Diego and everything about it just had no sense, but I knew that I needed to do it. And by the time I was coming home to be ready to start working at home, I was probably a few weeks off from being permanently at home. My daughter had her first seizure in the middle of the night with me. And I was like, we just got our rhythm down with the other diagnosed issue and then seizures entered our life. So now she has epilepsy, which to answer your other question, yes, epilepsy is a, uh, like 25% of kids can have that. And then the hole in the heart or the heart problem, 25% of kids with the uh, diagnosed Smith-McGinnis can also have that as well. So we got both. Wow. <laughs> plus, plus oh my the gosh. SMS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, wow. So, so I thought it was at the time we were doing so many like, like supplements to try and help promote her sleep. I swear I thought I, I caused that initially because I had no understanding that the, this was a possible, you know, secondary diagnosis that a child with SMS could have. So uh, about another week later, she had one at school that got the ambulance involved all the way down to the hospital. Then it was then, okay, this is our new real, you know, situation again. And now we're now we're shuffling and adjusting again to that. And so she has the type, she was having all kinds of ones, like the little ones where she'd stare off, smack her lips, be absent-minded for a moment um, to, you know, the big ones, which would take, she turns blue, stops breathing and she's out for hours. And so we kind of did that for two or two and a half years, just trying the medicine tried, it made her underlying diagnosis issue, her mood and everything was really bad. Like, talk about the Hulk on steroids. Okay. I mean, it was bad. So we were like, okay, this isn't going to work. 
So we wanted to go more of a natural route. So we tried some CBD oil at one time. We were working with a doc on that, the neurologist, and we were just kind of trying some different strategies. I was violently opposed to anything keto, I promise you, because I had the ignorance of, of the nursing understanding in the medical community. It'll kill you, it'll cause cholesterol problems and all of that stuff, right? So I was very, and I had some personal experiences with fasting and with the, uh, back in the olden days with, with Atkins, um, and it just ruined my perception of it all. And so I was very arms folded, closed-minded when that was asked of me if we were open to that by the neurologist. But I was so desperate, I was willing to go hear the, what they had to say about it with the Charlie Foundation and all that stuff. So January of 18, we started her on the keto diet. Um, from their perspective, we did it for about 12 days. And then um, Dr. Axe um, has a program for keto that he had just developed and brought out. And I liked his stuff and learned a lot through his, his different things that he does and whatever. So I knew that I could trust the product and, you know, to help us out with this program. And we actually got on that. And, and so my daughter did really well, like all of the seizures stopped, all of the little ones stopped for about 28 days on that. And that was very like, Oh my gosh, Godson blow, mind blown. Right. Um, and then me, I was cooking for my style. My family was doing their thing and I was cooking for her and it was just getting overwhelming. So I, I, I tongue in cheek say I got, I got into it, you know, because I wanted to help my daughter and understand what she was doing. And so I, I jumped in full on keto with her and uh, it was oh, the best thing I could have ever decided to do that I wasn't going to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was awesome so incredible that this has had such an impact on your daughter and her health. Um, can you talk a little bit more about why the keto diet is helpful for her condition and what kind of things did you experience in the rest of your family if they're doing it? When I came into it, I was well beyond wanting anything with about weight loss for the, for my, again, my focus was my daughter. So when I was looking at her, I'm like, yeah, she's getting heavy but I need her to stop this other stuff that disrupts everybody's life and her own. And so when I was seeing like people on it, it was that body before and after stuff. And I kept going, that's great, but it's not where my, where I'm at. I need somebody to help me understand. And so when I latched onto that program, it really, it wasn't all just about the weight loss. It was really teaching on like the cognitive abilities because of the ketones that get produced that just do, they're like, they're little miracles. I mean, it was just insane to learn about how the master hormone I, that I've always, you know, focused on is your, is your insulin. If you can get that bad boy to be real, even all throughout your day, man, it just makes everything better. And so the sad diet we're all fed, you know, here in the Americas is like, man, it's just so up and down, like walking up and down a peaks and valleys of a mountaintop. And that's how we feel all day. And that's, that was our experience, you know? And so when this came along, it was like a calm and like the, she just settled right down. She was like, literally would be lost in her iPad for four to five hours a day. And she didn't notice things around her whatsoever. She was just checked out lights on nobody home. The minute we started this thing, my wife jokingly said to me one day, she goes, man, she's annoying. And I laughed and I knew what she meant. Like, she's like, we have another kid again. What the heck happened to her? You know, that's how transformative it really was in a very short period of time. And that's when I went, holy cow, 
this really works for the cognitive. And so I've got it really excited. Then I, when I got on it, I, I always tell people like when, before the keto, you know, became a part of our existence, I didn't have a neck. My head was so swallowed up by my tense shoulders and being like, poke me and I'll, I'll growl. I promise you, I'm going to bite you. You know, like the poke, the bear just, Oh, it was horrible. Like I was just so edgy all the time and stressed out like crazy. And it was like this, I, I relaxed my shoulders and I felt amazing. Like, uh, it was just like, I, I don't know, like a calming oil, like dripped over, you, you know, like that hot shower when you're freezing and it just starts to warm you up and you're like, everything just kind of you smile naturally and just let the shoulders down and you just, oh, uh, it was such a powerful experience. And then I was like, this is amazing. And then as we got a few weeks into it, I realized that dangerous fat in the middle section that most people carry the visceral fat that's hard to get rid of. I couldn't get rid of that. And that's a lot of stress related, obviously, and lack of sleep. And it started to just kind of melt off a little bit. And I'm like, holy cow, this is incredible. Like, as a caregiver, you're always going to be challenged, you know, with certain aspects because you're all, it's like going to war in a way you're always on, you don't get a break per se. And you're, if you, even if you physically do, your mind is still going. And so it affects things. And I think the biggest thing I saw was like, this is going to be a great strategy to help caregivers take care of themselves so they can you know, kind of like that oxygen in the plane effect, right? You put the oxygen on you. This is how you can do that so that you can save others by putting the oxygen on them later. And the caregivers really do have to take care of themselves. And I think that's usually their last priority. And yes. then, you know, you're not able to give as good of care. I'm sure in a state where you're just stressed out and cranky and moody, you know, and tired, oh. you're not able to really give your daughter the attention that she would get if you're in, in in a more positive state. So I think that's really important. And I think people should give themselves the um, permission to take care of themselves just as important as taking care of their children or whoever that they're taking care of. Heck yes. And it's hard. It's really yeah. super hard. And I, that's where I hope that anybody listening, if they know someone who's a caregiver or they are themselves, they will just give themselves a break and pat on the back. You're amazing. You're doing awesome. You really yeah. are, but you're no good to whoever you're helping. If you're going to sacrifice yourself in the process, because mm -hmm. who's going to be left to take care of them. You want the state, you want people that don't know that person real well taken care of them. I doubt not. You know what I mean? So it is, it's it, hopefully this is a wake up call to anybody that hears this, that it is okay. And it's the best thing you could do. Because probably what you're going to learn, you could actually start implementing it in the caregiving person that you're helping or the people you are helping, and you'll see an improvement in them too. So you're the leader in that way, you know, and, and forge in, charging ahead and leading them, which is huge. So could you share a little bit more about what does your keto routine look like with your daughter and then for yourself as well? I kind of left you at that 28 day phase kind of for a reason. It was a little bit of a tease in a sense that after 28 days, um, for some reason, and we talked with the dietitian out in LA through the neurology that was working with us, all of this. I mean, we drew blood, we did blood at the bedside. We did all of it. We could not figure out why her ketone level was not there after the 28 day mark for whatever reason. So we were, she started having like, to a level I have never experienced and haven't yet since, thank God. But from mid-February or start of February all the way up through middle of April, we were dealing with like those major 
seizures, violently shaking out, turning blue, stop breathing four, five, six in a row at a time when they would happen. And they were getting more frequently. And we were talking to them like we had no idea what the heck. And so what we surmise is because of her condition, her MS, SMS, somehow they don't metabolize maybe fat right or something to get those ketone bodies produced right. She probably makes a low level of them, but nothing that's going to help in the way that she needs it for her brain to help with the, the condition and the cognitive stuff. So we kept her on, at this point, we kept her on the ketogenic diet, the strict 20 grams of carbs or less a day. So she's been maintaining that all along. The beautiful part with that alone is it stopped all of those little ones in between, the smacking lips, the staring off that were happening almost like every day. Anybody who lives in California would understand this analogy, but it's like living on a fault line. You get little tremblers every now and the ground shakes, and then there's the big one that rocks the, the whole house and things fall off the shelf, right? That's kind of what seizure-like living is to me. It's really volatile that way. And you're always, every noise you hear, you think, oh, is that her? You know, you're always on edge a little bit. This, uh, what we did then was I got introduced to the exogenous ketones, the th pure therapeutic ketones. And because um, I went to a doctor online and I said, here's my situation. I've seen that these things exist in the world. My problem is I keep seeing this before and after body stuff. And I'm like, it's not where I'm at again. I need help with my daughter's situation. And I'm like, can you tell me if you can get me with somebody that knows more about this and does it really work? And he was gracious enough to give me a ton of great information. That's Dr. Ryan Lowry. If you want to follow him, he's an amazing human being. Um, and so anyway, he, he gave me all the information I needed and made me feel really comfortable because I knew he had the reputation to risk if he was not telling me the truth. And that was huge to me, you know, being that nursing background and the, and the medicine background and stuff that I have and being, you know, professional in that way. I wanted to be there. I wanted some of that research to be there a little bit, not just something that someone says, no, my buddy tried it and it made him feel great. Go ahead and give it a try. Try it with your kid. Right. You know, like, Oh, wait a minute. So that was huge. And so putting that in along with the diet and now we're doing some CBD uh, stuff that we're working on. We need the ketone levels to be very, at a certain level and we couldn't do it with diet alone. And now we're up there. We, I can't say that it's fixed or seizures cause it hasn't, we're, we're better. And it's, it's a 1% better every day. We're, we're working on the process every day and looking at new strategies. I think there's still things that we could do maybe with probably red light therapies to massage therapy to maybe float tanks and, you know, chiropractic. And I, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit of everything. I'm, I want to figure that out in the long run. That's my mm. goal. Yeah, and I think just other people who might be dealing with this or or have children who are facing the same issue, or even just parents with children who have seizures, it's something to look into because, you know, the ketones are a primary source of fuel for the brain, and it's a more efficient fuel for the brain than for instance, glucose. And so it's interesting and it's not surprising to me that that is helpful for her cognitive function and that it affects her neurology. And I think it's, um, I think it's just so great and it might be even lucky that your neurologist even suggested this because it's kind of newer in, yeah. in the science field. And it's not, it's definitely not part of any sort of standard protocol. It's definitely not mainstream. And so the fact that your neurologist even brought it up is just um, incredible. And that's why 
I wanted you on the podcast too, is because some of these parents or even people dealing with these things for themselves, you know, it could, it could potentially be a solution. And I, like you, um, I, I'm kind of tired of hearing about people doing like keto for weight loss. I mean, yes, I know it's, it's effective for a lot of people for that, but I think I use the keto diet, for instance, for athletic performance and for mm-hmm. brain function. And I think that that piece gets lost sometimes in the like popular keto community um, and that there are a lot more like therapeutic and really beneficial applications of the ketogenic diet. Yeah. Well, and the ketones, like you asked me, like, what do I do? Being in my situation, the last thing a caregiver wants is another thing to think about or another responsibility per se to weigh them down or something that's, if it's, you know, hard in a way, it's just like, it might, you you can see all the benefit of it, but getting to getting it done is another whole big deal sometimes. And so when I saw that, these therapeutic ketones were available and they're the ones that are bioidentical to the ones our liver make, by the way. So they are very easily uptake. They, they do, they don't go through the digestive process. They're, they're uptake really fast. It's benefited me because I can, I can count on that to mitigate some of the things that I just don't get the luxury of dealing with right now. I don't get to sleep. So I have to maximize like the time that Mm -hmm. I sleep has to be the best it can be. I have to, use strategies like that's where I keep my I go low carb I don't go ketogenic per se I'm more low carb so I just get rid of the bun if I got the burger you know I I go with cauliflower rice instead of the rice I mean I'm just making good decisions but I'm using these ketones with my daughter and it's just really making me the best human being I could possibly be and most people who want some cognitive benefit that go I just don't know if I could do the diet or whatever this could be a strategy for you you know I think you balance it with least low carb is huge, but if you can do, you know, ketogenic and you want to do that, go for it as well. I I think the biggest thing is find something you can do every day, right? Like everybody always asks, so what's the best workout? The one you'll do. What's the best diet? The one you'll stay with, right? I mean, that's what you need to kind of, I hope people can apply that more. So there isn't, there's so much confusion out there. Just try and keeping it simple for now. And even if it's a way to get started, so you get into the rhythm of it and then you start making other decisions and get down the road and change it up or whatever. Cool. You know, that's all. It could be a bridge to something. Maybe. I don't know. I think it's, um, it's really important. And something that I've been talking about lately is meeting people where they are. You know, you can't expect somebody who has never you know, considered a healthy diet or doesn't know that much about a healthy, what a healthy diet or healthy lifestyle components might be. And you can't expect them just to then start eating perfectly and working out every single day and making all the right choices. It's got to be more uh, simple and bite-sized. So I think, um, I think like things like taking exogenous ketones can be a good first step for people or, you know, something that they can supplement um, their diet with. And I'm like you, I, I don't eat any one specific or subscribe to any specific diet per se. Um, I do use ketosis with intermittent fasting and even long-term fasting. And I, I apply those concepts, but I also eat carbs if I feel like eating carbs. And I do have times when I carb refeed, which actually is really important for women, especially with their mm-hmm. hormonal cycle. And so I do also use exogenous ketones 
ketones during those time periods to help me stay like mentally sharp. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's been the biggest benefit for me. It's almost like a nootropic in a way. And so I know that you have the therapeutic level of ketones that you like. So we can, um, we can leave a link in the show notes for anybody who's interested in connecting with you and learning more about the ketones that you use for yourself and your daughter. And also if you're open to it, Eric, um, if there are parents out there who want to connect about, you know, the things that they might be facing with their own children, would you be open to them connecting with you? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Strength in numbers, you know, yeah. community matters. Oh my gosh, I'm a huge guy with all that stuff, 100%. Amazing. So, so we'll include Eric's contact info in the show notes as well for, for any parents who might want to connect with him. But you also had this really cool idea of a lifestyle for parents who have children with these sorts of health concerns that are challenging, not only for the child, but for the parents as well. And kind of like this supportive community vision. And so I I love that vision and I would love it if you um, wanted to share that. Oh, you're trying to make me cry, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, it means a lot that you asked that because it's, it is, it's, it's, it's the way I want to live the rest. Like before, when I die, this is the legacy I pray I can leave. And that would be because I've been the caregiver, I still am, I always will be, but I also did it in a professional way. And then I've had the unfortunate, you know, side of seeing what certain institutional scenarios look like and how loved ones are treated at the end and in situations. And it just breaks my heart truly. Um, and so it's all kind of fed into that. But uh, really, I wanted, I want to get a community set up where we can have like a community center where kids, you know, can be dealing with a lot of their, especially cognitive, but even some of those that have sensory stuff, which that's another part of the SMS community too, um, you know, where they can have a lot of that interactive and have one-on-ones that can help them. And it's interesting because I think you could probably find, our programs are tough for our kids because they kick them out because of the behavior problems. They don't let them stay in. So that's one impetus for why I want to do it because the SMS specifically, there's probably other diagnosed children and family members that, you know, won't fit in certain structures because of behavioral related something or other. So they do need the one-on-one and they need to be able to stay at a facility that gets that. And that's what I want for that. But I probably the bigger percentage to me, I want to have like, maybe those tiny houses or a a community built of homes where families could come and consider moving to this location to enjoy a rate. Cause like in our situation, we have four, five kids, one of them special needs. Well, how do the other kids get to do normal life? Right. I want parents to be able to go and do normal life with their kids and know that they're close by to that loved one that's being well taken care of and can be interacting with them when they need to. Like I, my goal with my daughter is I want her to move out when she's 18. I don't want to raise her the rest of my life. I want access to her whenever I want. I want her to get some semblance of what it would be to be on her own as an adult. And so that's why I want to create that. And I think, in the step in between, I want to kind of like that trading spaces show used to do. I want to go in and retrofit people's space that's safe for their child with a little like one-way glass room where the caretaker can be there to watch the children and stay overnight so that mom and dad can actually sleep. That's how I want to get back into the bed with my wife 
is I want someone to come watch my kid overnight while she's up half the time and we can sleep. Yeah, that's so important. And I'm so glad that you're sharing this because I think other parents with children with SMS or other parents with children with cognitive issues or even parents with children that they don't understand why they're not sleeping, they are probably feeling this exact same way and they're just too afraid to say it. And so it's really important that you're saying it and, you're, and you deserve to be able to have a normal life or as normal as possible. And your daughter deserves to have as normal of a po <clears throat> as possible of a life as well. And so I love that when you, when you told me about this vision that you have, I'm like, yes, this needs to happen. Like <laughs> we need to tell people about this. It's such a great idea. And I hope that anyone out there listening can reach out to Eric and maybe you can link arms and make this happen. Like, I think it's such a great idea. And I'm so grateful that you were out there leading the charge and being brave enough to even bring these issues to light. Absolutely. And I can say within our community that I, I, when the groups that we're a part of, it, it's hard for me to take because they're, they're also, and I get why it's the caregiving thing. And then it's, it's just basic human survival that's going on half the time. And so to step outside of that and, and, and take on this kind of vision is really hard for our community. So that's why I'm really fighting hard for ours specifically, because they're all just kind of doing the groundhog day thing, sadly, and they're just getting more and more frustrated and they keep going to those that don't understand real well what these kids are like because they don't have the funding. So they, they just keep trying different things. And it's like going to the buffet all the time and, and they just, they're just trying stuff. They don't really have a plan as per se. And I get it. It's no shame on them or anybody. It's just what it is. And I don't want that to be the long-term answer anymore. It's got to change and I want to be that champion. Yes, I love it. And the community needs you as a champion. And might I also say that your daughter and probably all your kids have won the jackpot as far as dads go, because Aww. you getting out there and like making this your whole life and putting all your energy and effort into it is just incredible. So I, I just commend you for being such an amazing parent as well. Thank you very much. That means a tremendous amount to me, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. So I do want to ask you a couple of questions that I ask all of my podcast guests, if you're up for it. Absolutely. Bring it. Let's go. Yeah. So um, as you know, in the biohacking community, that morning routines are becoming more and more popular. So I wanted to ask you if you have a morning routine, and given your sleep uh, challenges, um, your morning routine might be different than others out there. So I think it would be interesting to hear what yours is. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. I, I thought about this a little bit, you know, um, and I, I'm going to go a little bit in a different direction and it might shock you. I don't know, but <laughs> I actually, awesome. I actually have let myself off the hook of having a set routine because the stress of that and the pressure of that and feeling like a dang failure every day was creating way more negative energy for me than just realizing that, because I, I don't know when my daughter wakes up. I, I would love to say, if she could just sleep till three, I'll set everything up from three on and that's my day. But she wakes up at one, then she might wake up at two, and then she might sleep till five. And it's like, it's so sporadic. I don't know when my day starts anymore. So... I, I, what I do get up, I get my, I, I get up, I love 
I look at it from the therapeutic side of it. I, I don't know if the things I'm doing are the healthiest always. I don't know. I don't evaluate it on that because I don't want that pressure. But I get up and I have my, my bulletproof coffee, if you will, in the morning. And I enjoy that, just the sipping of it and not really expecting a whole lot for a few moments and just really kind of getting connected and getting awake and getting ready. I'll, I'll probably do a little devotional. I do do some, I love to read. And so I just kind of do things to get my mind going and, and focused on things. And then sometimes it's gotta be, you know, ready to hit the ground running cause she might be sick or, you know, she might be in a funk and just wanting her chips and salsa at four in the morning and we got to do it. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. So it's just like, you never know in that sense. So I, I, I've just realized that the best morning routine for me ultimately would be to say, just be okay with whatever is and just be ready. I love that because I think people do put too much pressure on themselves. I'm included to have the perfect morning routine. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just be kind to yourself and give yourself a little grace and let yourself off the hook. So I think that's an excellent morning routine. <laughs> and, I, and I have aspirations to get more con continuity and consistency with the things I do want to do. So that's where, again, yeah. working these strategies out with her to get more consistency will develop that as time goes on. So there is hope for it. I'm just not yeah. pressuring myself right now. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. <laughs> um, so the last question I want to ask you, and maybe it's something you have mentioned on our, or during our discussion so far, but if you could provide just one piece of tangible information that anybody listening could apply to their life right away to have the overall biggest benefit on their health and wellness, what would that be? So, I have a twofold answer to that. The first one is, and I think that every one of us as human beings struggle with this for the most part, or at some point may have. And that is, I want you to know that you are worth it. You are worthy and doggone it. You are freaking awesome. So start with that and go invest in your awesomeness every day with whatever that looks like. And I, and this is the one that I tell everybody all the time when they're always asking me for advice or different things. The number one thing I tell them is to, and this is my story with my daughter. I was, I was, and I think this goes back to the morning routine pressure also is that I have this like check the box, got the list and I'm checking it off and I'm going to be Mr. Fix it by the end of the day. Well, my daughter broke all of that mold for me because I can't fix her. I can just make things better. So that taught me to realize I have to, the whole idea of life is to marry the journey, marry the process and divorce yourself from any outcome. Every time I've said that to people, they just have this, this profound moment. Like that's the key. Divorce yourself from any outcome and fall in love with a process that will get you eventually whatever outcome you desire maybe down the road. Cause that that end goal may change. That's why getting attached to it can be very frustrating in some ways. So, and that was one of the things that Hal Elrod taught me was like, if you have a goal of making X amount of money or running that race at this time or whatever that end goal is, work on the strategies and the processes right now that you can maintain over time that will make you become the person who could possibly do that end goal thing. And that's, that's to me mm -hmm. huge. I love that. That is such a great way to look at it. And, you know, this whole detachment um, concept is 
is becoming more and more popular. And I think it's important. I certainly struggle with it because just like most humans, I attach to, you know, my goals and my dreams and my achievements. And sometimes it's, that's, you lose sight of what's really important when you do that. So I, yeah. I love that approach. Well, I mean, look at my daughter, like before she was born, I didn't really contrast real well, but just in a nutshell, we were the take our kids and go anywhere. I'll come to your house and play Monopoly till midnight at night. And my kids will just fall asleep on the floor and that's going to be okay. Cause that's what we do. We love to hang mm -hmm. out, fellowship, community, get together with friends, go do stuff and just do it. And when she came along, that whole world shifted. I, I don't get to do any of that anymore right now, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. so that's where I was like, okay, we just have to be okay with the process now and find, you know, you can't be, you just can't be married to one way. It's, it's going to, it could change in other words. So if you aren't willing to, ch you know, if you're rigid with it, you're going to be frustrated, upset, angry, and tense, and it's just going to lead to a lot of negativity in your life. And it's no fun. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible way to live. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a mental flexibility, if you will. You got it. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing again, your story. It's so powerful. I love it. I hope so many people get value from this. I think that they will. And also thank you for sharing your knowledge with us because I think that you are just incredible and I love everything that you do. So <laughs> I'm so glad that I was able to have you on the podcast. And, and if, if the listeners are, again, interested in connecting with you, or if they want to learn more about what you do, or if they want to connect with you on social media, where are the best places for them to find you? Um, I'm on Facebook at my full name, which is Eric Thomas Alber. And then my Instagram handle is real health with Eric. And those Perfect. are the two places I hang out the most. Awesome. And we will link that also in the show notes for anybody who wants to get in contact. And again, if you are interested in learning more about ketones as well, or the keto diet, Eric is a great resource. So I would definitely connect with him as well on that. Thank you so much for listening today. You are the driving force behind this podcast. So if you liked this episode, please let me know by leaving a review. And I would also love it if you could share, text, email, or even screenshot the podcast episode and share it on your social media and be sure to tag me, biocurious underscore Kayla, so that I can repost your post. This really helps me to grow the podcast and continue bringing useful, actionable health information from amazing experts from around the world straight to your ear. 